0: Welcome to tonight's California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so, and I've got a great guest coming up. How is everybody today? Well, I hope that means good. I'm good, except my air conditioning's out, and it's 90 degrees in here, and as you can tell by the uh, fuzzy sound behind me, I've got a fan blowing on me. Otherwise, I'd be dying in here. But anyway, it's great to see everybody. I'm glad to be back this week, and we have a great show lined up. My gosh, this woman, the, the, the woman that I, that I have scheduled tonight is such a, is such a legendary figure in, in the world of, of UFOs and alien abductions in that. Um, she has a very famous aunt and uncle that we're going to probably t- have a talk about tonight. But what's in, what I think is really cool is that this is the second time she's been on my show. She may not remember. But uh, back when California Haunts Radio started, we started like everybody else on Blog Talk Radio. And I started out and there weren't a lot of groups on, you know, doing this on blog talk radio at the time. So the first couple of years were really good. There were no, um, no big issues as far as my hair is all messed up. There were no big issues as far as, you know, the quality coming out of blog talk, but within a year or so after that two years, uh, I, I think there were a lot of paranormal groups that got on the air. And so blog Talk started to have bandwidth issues and whatnot. So like a lot of the um radio shows at that time, I went looking for a new place to to launch, you know, to have the show. And I found uh talk shoe. I don't even know if talkshoe's around anymore. And um we did about a dozen shows on there and Kathleen came on my came on the show on Talkshoe. So it's California Haunts Radio 2 at Talkshoe. So I'm really excited to have her on. It was a long time ago. But we're gonna have a lot to talk about tonight. So If you guys have any questions just a reminder if you guys have any questions and you're in the chat room feel free to ask because we're gonna we're gonna talk about alien god my mouth ufos and alien abduction tonight here we go hello
1: hello nice to see you again
0: nice it's been a long time
1: yes it has how many years do you think
0: oh my god like at least eight or nine years. Wow. I was was over at TalkShoe at the time and TalkShoe was just brand new and hardly had, you know, any listeners and whatnot, but you graciously came on to talk to me.
1: Well, I have been really busy in the past eight or nine years.
0: Well, I'm glad you're back because let's find out about that. Let's talk about it.
1: Okay. Well, uh, 10 years ago, I took on the job of the Mutual UFO Network's Director of Experience or Research. And at that time, it was a little tiny group. There were only, I think, three of us. And uh, as uh, it it just grew and grew and grew, uh, now there are 45 caring, compassionate individuals who uh, speak with experiencers who are just seeking help or someone uh, that will listen to their story without ridicule, without being judgmental. These are kind, compassionate people. And we also have a a team of five uh, mental health professionals, two are psychiatrists and three are psychotherapists who uh, are consultants to our team. They don't work with uh, the people that uh, uh, call in. But if anybody who is listening tonight wants to uh, take part in that service, they can go to MUFON.com, M U F O N.com, scroll down to the Experiencer Resource Team. It's not, they just changed the name from Research to Resource. I'm a, I'm a researcher, but <laughs> that's it changed to Resource because that's what the people on the team are doing. And uh, you will uh, click on that and you'll come up with a picture of all the members of the team. You can read about everybody's biographical information if you want. At the top of that page, it says complete the experience or questionnaire. Very easy. It's only 30 yes and no questions, true and false, whatever. And your score doesn't matter. You can have 20 points out of 30 and have be a longtime experiencer with all of the characteristics that experiencers have, or you can have only 10 points and still be an experiencer, but not be taken as many times. So I I wanna tell people that because a lot of people go to the site and they take that questionnaire and uh, I don't know what they do, but they don't follow through. Now, I have recently stepped down as the director of that team. but So, uh, Gwen Farrell is now the director. She is a, a long-term uh, individual who works with experiencers. She was a hypnotherapist. So, she has quite a background. She's an author. She's written books on the topic. And uh, Dr. Jo- George Medich is the assistant director. And then Denise Stoner Uh, was my personal assistant on the team, and she is my co-author on the Alien Abduction Files. And she's also a long-term experiencer dating back to early childhood. So you have a lot of people on the team who are experiencers or hypnotherapists or know a lot about this topic. Uh, The reason I stepped down is due to time constraints. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm extraordinarily busy. I just, uh, it was s- stressing me out. <laughs> and so I, so I decided that I, I had to step down and now I'm just a consultant to the team, which is also an important position to have, mm-hmm. but uh, it doesn't require really any uh, input from me on a regular basis.
0: So you've been doing this for a long time, because I know the last time we talked, you were almost just starting to get, get out there, you know, uh, 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 you know, talking about, about your aunt and uncle. And now, God, you've written all these books. It's just crazy.
1: Yes. Well, you know, I began my research 30 years ago. Uh, I was 13 when Betty and Barney had their experience, but I went on and you know, just a normal kid had uh, went through high school. I was on the student council and went on to college and uh, studied social work, and uh, I wanted to go into psychiatric social work. But uh, when my, my first husband was earning his doctorate in the philosophy of psychiatry in Cincinnati, and so uh, I was, I ended up uh, going into the field of education. Uh instead of social work and uh, worked in the inner city and did graduate work there and uh, continued it when I moved back to New Hampshire. I lived in Colorado for several years, too. Uh, So uh, that's sort of where I was coming from then. But uh, when I was back in New Hampshire teaching school, I had five children (laughs) too two of my own three of my husbands and so i was divorced from the first one and uh i just i i became ill and with chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome and i had been accustomed to really being in there as a researcher in education and uh, holding important positions and being at home and sick and alone was boring as could be. So I thought, what can I do? And I thought, well, I've always wanted to be a writer. In fact, uh, I was studying that in college until my Aunt Betty Hill said to me, do something practical, Kathy. <laughs> be a social worker. It's uh, she's She loved being a social worker. That's what she did. For work and so uh i did that and it just didn't pan out for me but uh i she said okay then you can begin very slowly and you know when i felt well enough right. uh, researching and investigating what the experience that she and my uncle had and so i so i did that for the next 14 years slowly Uh, going through all of her archival records, uh, interviews, many, many interviews with her, interviews with uh, the researchers, the investigators who were alive. Uh, My husband and I went up uh, along the route time after time after time, and I did with Betty as well, through northern New Hampshire and uh Franconia Notch, where Betty and Barney had their close encounter with a UFO. So my goodness, it was uh, it's been a long process uh, captured, was uh, published in 2007, and uh, I asked Stanton Friedman to join me in that because he was so instrumental in. Uh, finding scientists who would vet Marjorie Fish's work on the star map that Betty saw on the craft and then uh, sketched as the result of post-hop hypnotic suggestion oh. by neuropsychiatrist uh, Dr. Benjamin Simon, who was the doctor who saw Betty and Barney separately for a period of uh Six months, it was uh, more like three months or four months separately, and then two months where they were together, listening to what each other said under hypnosis. And they told essentially the same story. So uh, that was really important. But it had such a huge impact on me and also on my family that I always wanted to know precisely what did happen. Uh And so I spent years searching for information and even went to the archival collections of some of the disinformants to see what made them tick and uh, why they were causing so many problems for my aunt. (laughs) So that's in a a little longer than a nutshell, I guess.
0: Well, let's talk about them let's talk about their character because i mean he's you know your aunt your aunt and uncle were not flaky people in fact no. your uncle from, from reading what, what i've read on on the topic he was the postal worker he was very meticulous about mm-hmm. stuff and he even tried to debunk it
1: he did i mean barney had an iq of 140 and he was a confirmed skeptic when it came to Flying saucers is what they called them in those days. He didn't think it was possible. Um, And he and my aunt were uh, very active in the community in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Barney was born in Virginia and then uh, lived in Philadelphia and met Betty when when he was on vacation at Hampton Beach in New Hampshire. And uh, she was... Uh, down at the beach and and uh, she had an apartment house where she would do short-term rentals. So she said, well, if you come up again to go to the beach, I'll rent an apartment to you. And they've ended up becoming close friends and never thought that they would marry, but uh, they, <laughs> they had so many interests in common because Betty was a civil rights uh, advocate as well. And they ended up falling in love. They got married in 1960, and uh, they had this experience in September of 1961. Uh, bet, and by the time that it was released to the public, they never wanted it to go public. Let me put it this way they had too much to lose. In 1965, Because of their political activities, Betty and Barney were invited to Lyndon Johnson's inauguration. And because I was their good niece who, and they were role models for me, I was invited as well. It was a wonderful experience. And then in 1965, uh, Barney was appointed to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights as a state advisory member from New Hampshire. He was given an award by Sergeant Shriver, who was the head of the U.S. Poverty Program, uh, for the good work that my uncle and aunt did uh, with uh, through the Office of Economic Opportunity to set up the Rockingham County Community Action Program. And Barney was the first chairman of the board of directors on that. Uh, they worked on a literacy program that Barney set up through the Archdiocese, because in those days you had to pass a literacy test in order to vote. So they were very actively involved in the state and and in their work for the betterment of humanity when a newspaper reporter, uh, was given the information on what happened to Betty and Barney and then talked to Pease Air Force Base, talked to people up in the White Mountains, actually found 12 to 14 witnesses to the craft that night and uh, released the story five, uh, uh, five days in the Boston Traveler. So you might say Betty and Barney went from being highly respected, credible individuals, to a couple of lunatics overnight, in the eyes of many people. Wow! Yeah. Wow. And it, it was just so sad. It was so sad to see that happen.
0: Um, the night it happened, they were driving. They'd gone for a trip, right? And then yes. They were on their way home, mm-hmm. and then they were going over the mountains to hit home. Then what happened, according to what they say?
1: Well, they entered northern New Hampshire from Canada and stopped in Colebrook, uh, had a snack left there at 10 o'clock, and headed south to Lancaster. And about four miles south of Lancaster, there was a new light in the sky. And the, the strange thing about it was that it shot upward rather than like a shooting star in an arc. So Betty started watching it, wondering what it was. And they continued driving south. It was a light, bright night. The moon was about three-quarters full. And it started to come in closer and closer and closer. And finally, when they were just north of Franconia Notch, and Franconia Notch is a beautiful tourist area with mountains on each side of the road. Uh, There's a ski area there, the Cannon Mountain Ski Area. Um, there's the was the old man of the mountain, and uh-huh. it's just a, a great tourist spot for people to go to. And so they were like four miles north of Franconia Notch when Betty said to Barney, "I was pull over and stop the car. I want to look at this thing through binoculars, and I want to walk the dog. They had their little dachshund Delcy." with them so Barney pulled over and uh, they got the binoculars Uh, Barney was going to walk the dog near the woods so he got his gun from the trunk and he wanted to have that so that if a bear came out of the woods he could fire a warning shot and uh, so they the craft came in very close and it was obviously at that point um not a conventional aircraft, although Barney was in denial. He knew deep down that this was something unusual. And so they got back into the car. They they entered Franconia Notch. The first thing they saw was Cannon Mountain straight ahead. And then beyond that is the old man of the mountain. The old man's profile was 48 feet from forehead to chin. And they saw the craft hovering next to the old man's profile. And the craft was at least one and a half to two times the length of the old man's profile. Wow. So it was very large. It appeared to be rotating. And it was lighted on only one side. So uh, they watched that. And then Barney was watching it as it started moving. And it moved like a yo-yo he called it i think today of the ping pong uh ball that the the, uh, the tic-tac
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the having to do with the nimitz that the the tic-tac bounced back and forth over the ocean like a ping pong ball right. and from barney's description it sounds like the flight pattern was the same it also ascended uh, vertically and descended vertically, uh, flew in erratically. And so they got back into the car. Barney was saying, oh, I I want to get home. <laughs> and so they uh, exited Franconia Notch, the south entrance. And this is where the tourist attractions are today if you go there you showed the historical marker that the state erected on betty and barney and you'll find that on route three in front of the indian head resort Uh, that was a good place for it because there's a parking lot there people can pull over to the side of the road or in park in the parking lot and uh, go to the marker So, uh, they were south of the Indian Head Resort, about a mile south, when Betty was becoming excited. And she rarely became excited, but she's excited, Barney, you have to pull over, it's coming in close, it's coming in close. And before he could find a place to pull over, the craft hovered right over the highway, right over Route 3. And... Barney had to pull the car into the middle of the road in order not to be directly underneath it. Do you know what's happened to people who have tried to drive under it, under the craft, doing this? I've I've worked on uh, some investigations where where this happened, and uh, the car ended up going up into the craft when it tried to drive wow. under. Oh. <laughs> I've, I've... Never heard of that. That's fascinating. Yes. Yes. You know, so uh, Barney stopped the car. He, he got out of the car, had his binoculars, and he's uh, looking up at the craft. Betty's looking in from the passenger seat. And Barney steps back. And when he did, the craft moved to the opposite side of the road. And Barney followed it. To the side of the road uh, looking at it with binoculars trying to identify what this was he said it looked like a giant pancake just hanging there in the air and it was silent and but he didn't want it to be anything unusual. He was trying oh, to cool. convince himself, "Oh, it has to be a helicopter or, or something., A silent.. A no. silent helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> so Varney's uh, looking up at this craft. It's now hovering a hundred feet overhead and about 50 feet in the distance. And he observes. Nine to 11 uh, figures (laughs) looking down at him. They're dressed in black, shiny uniforms. Uh, All of a sudden, all but one turn and walk to what appears to be a panel. Uh, Their arms go up. He can see them from the tops of their heads down to their knees at this point. And one looks over his shoulder down at Barney. And little fin-like structures start to slide out with little red lights and something starts to drop down out of the bottom of the craft. Now, Barney was wondering, could it be a rope or could it be a ladder? (laughs) It wasn't either of those things. We know what that is today. That is the carrier beam that takes people to the craft. And at that time, Barney was looking at the face of the one who was standing in the window, staring down at him. And Barney thought that there was a plan. And that plan was to capture him, quote, like a bug in the net, close quote. So Barney went screaming back to the car to Betty that they had to get out of there or they were going to be captured. Uh, As he was entering the car, he saw that the craft was now moving in his direction. So he's speeding down the highway and he says to Betty, roll down your window and look up and see if you can see it. She was expecting to see the lights. All she saw was blackness, even though it was a bright light night. And she later realized that the craft was right over the top of the car. So uh, they, they went only a few blocks, maybe five or six blocks, when... Betty and Barney heard a series of code-like buzzing sounds, striking the trunk of the car. And this tingling sensation passed through their bodies and they went into an altered state of consciousness when that occurred. They found themselves as if only a moment had passed, 35 miles down the highway, They heard a second series of buzzing sounds that returned them to full consciousness. And they had vague memories of observing a fiery orb sitting on the ground, of being on a dirt road with tall trees all around, and of a a roadblock figure standing in the road. But they didn't know where or when that occurred. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So... Lots of questions, lots of mysteries. Betty did ask the question, well, Barney, now do you believe in flying saucers? <laughs> and he said, Betty, don't be ridiculous. And Betty thought that he was probably kidding her. And But he said, I'll prove to you that I can make that sound. And so he stopped the car. He drove it from one side of the road to the other. And he could not reproduce that sound. And they just drove home from there, Uh, and it was, oh, probably about an hour, maybe hour and a half drive from there to their house. And uh, when they arrived home, uh, they found many strange things that they couldn't account for. Barney got out of the car, he went into the bathroom, and his best dress shoes were so deeply scraped along the toes that he had to buy new shoes. He was a meticulous dresser. Um, Betty went to take off her dress, and the zipper was uh, torn. There was a thick zipper fabric torn along the stitching. The uh, lining was torn from waist to hemline, and the hem was down on one side. It had been in perfect condition when she'd put it on earlier um, the previous day. But uh, so many mysteries and uh, the binocular strap that Barney had around his neck was broken. The watches that they had been wearing that they checked at 10 o'clock and then they checked, Betty checked again at 11.15 uh, before the craft came down uh, over the the highway. Uh, those watches had stopped running and never ran again. And so betty called my mother Mm -hmm. they they did sleep they did draw sketches of what they saw went to separate rooms so they wouldn't cheat (laughs) and uh, betty called my mother i had arrived home from school for the day and my mother sounded concerned and was talking about how she would call our neighbor who was a physicist and would get back to betty so my mother did call him And he uh, told my mother, for some reason, that uh, if Betty had a compass, she should take it out to the car and see how the needle reacted. Betty was fearful of radiation, but a compass will not measure radiation. Mm -hmm. So it measures a magnetic field. So apparently that physicist knew more than the rest of us about UFOs. And Betty did find a compass. uh, Barney was very upset with her. Uh, he said, "Betty, no good can come of talking to anyone about this. Don't tell a soul." And that—that's when Betty went to the phone and called my mother. <laughs> so, you know, irritating Barney even more. And then uh, Betty went out to the car and placed the compass on the side of the car, and it was fine. It, behaved like a compass and then she saw new spots shiny spots on the trunk of the car that hadn't been there the previous day Uh and she held the compass over those and the needle would spin and spin and she thought well maybe her hands were shaking maybe she was doing it so she put the compass directly on the metal and let go and the needle still whirled and whirled so uh, there was a very strong magnetic field there. And finally, the the neighbors went down and saw this. And finally, Barney was shamed into going out and taking a look, too. Uh, he tried it. It, it uh, did the same thing for him. And then he said, oh, Betty, it's only a cheap compass. Come on into the house. <laughs> so he tried and tried to forget about this. But Betty wouldn't let him. Uh, My mother called Betty and told uh, her and Barney to make a report to Pease Air Force Base. That came from a police officer. He'd been the chief of police in the small town of Newton, New Hampshire, and was my father's best friend. He stopped by for coffee every night, so he passed that information to my mother. And uh, so they, Betty and Barney, called Pease and, and made a report. And... Uh, the story goes on from there Uh, so many questions the there there were two radar reports that night uh one at Pease and one at the north concord vermont uh radar station and uh, there were witnesses to the craft we didn't know that for years i just found out uh After John Luttrell died, and John Luttrell was the newspaper reporter who broke the story, uh, violated confidentiality. Well, he didn't, but someone else did. (laughs) I've
0: never heard of that, that there were witnesses. That's new to me too.
1: That is new. That's new information that I'm releasing. Uh, There's a lot of new information in the updated uh, 60-year anniversary edition. Of captured Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: uh, I did not stop my investigation when the first book was written I went on looking for scientists who were interested in evaluating Betty's dress and the evidence on the dress and any other evidence that uh, they might be interested in and there have been some astounding findings that are in the new book and more information about those witnesses who saw the craft as well.
0: Oh, my God. I'm going to have to get this book. <laughs> um, my question with this is that now I understand it was in your first book, too, that the, the, there were uh, round, dot, round circles on the back of the car?
1: The, yes. On the trunk of the car, uh, just c- uh, concentric circles that were highly polished. They were the same color as the metal of the car, but they were highly polished. They hadn't been there the day before. And, uh, but that is the area of the car where the craft uh, was causing the buzzing sounds when it was striking the, tr- the metal on the trunk of the car. I just wonder if it wasn't something like
0: radar you know because i mean with, with the current radar that we use even on the submarines it has to ping against an object and come back so maybe that was their their version of you know of a radar system that that, that would go down and hit the car and then would come back up so they could locate it
1: oh that's an interesting hypothesis but also the, the uh, military thought that perhaps it was so, something like sonar that's right radar, yeah that, sonar, that's yeah. what they oh, said I meant solar I'm
0: sorry yeah I meant solar Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meant with solar. yeah. The so
1: there were many air force officers and navy officers were, who were interested in Betty's and Barney's case and also uh, scientists who investigated it and it was the first scientifically investigated case of alien abduction in the United States
0: So when did they finally I mean after this happened there's a question I have too, because some of these cases, like 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 the abduction in the Mojave, that one terrified the heck out of me. Oh, a couple yes. that was camping back out there. Yes,
1: I read that book.
0: <laughs> yeah, that one gave me nightmares. And um, <laughs> did they have any after nightmares or any after effects or anything after this abduction?
1: Um, Betty had five dreams part of it was like nightmares uh, and five only they began 10 days after the experience and they went for five days and she had these just before she woke up in the morning and uh, Barney was working on the graveyard shift at the Boston Post office then so um, he wasn't home when she was having these but she dreamed of things that she remembered which is, you know, when, when you're just waking up in the morning, you're kind of in a a hypnotic state and you can have these kind of dreams, which have real information, things that you remember, but then you have things that can be a little distorted too. And especially if you're experiencing anxiety over Mm -hmm. something that occurred. So Betty turned in her dreams, the, uh, gray-skinned, completely hairless, uh, short uh, entities. A lot of them were uh, three and a half to four feet tall. And then the ones with who were the examiner and the leader, which she called him, um, they were uh, about five to five and a half feet tall. So she turned those in her dreams into... Uh, Men who had black hair, human faces, ears, uh, looked human in uh, just about every way. They were wearing blue cadet uh, hats and blue cadet uniforms. And uh, so uh, completely different in that part uh, in terms of what they looked like as opposed to what she remembered in hypnosis. Interesting.
0: Interesting. And there were no revisits, right? Because like like with the Mojave one, that's what terrified me about that one. They're laying in bed and they did come to the walls.
1: Well, yeah, there were, there were additional visits, but okay. Betty never wanted to tell anyone because she feared ridicule,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and ridicule. She wanted just to go on with her life. So did Barney. They they were committed to uh, politics and the civil rights movement and that sort of thing. And so this was just something that was uh, an interference in their life. Uh, it distressed Barney greatly. He ended up developing bleeding ulcers he was in the hospital he had to take a three-month leave of absence from work and uh, that's how he ended up with Dr. Benjamin Simon because he had uh, developed a a type of hypnosis uh, that really gets to the crux of the matter and uh, it's it's a deep level of hypnosis and it's hypnoanalysis and so he d- used that on Barney to help him to recover and to move on uh, through his memories of what had occurred. Uh, go ahead.
0: So they didn't know. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a question in the chat room.
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: at, at this point, after coming home, they had no idea how much time had elapsed between when the beings approached them and then when they found themselves back in the car, right?
1: Yeah, well, it wasn't that the beings approached them. Barney's Barney's last memory was observing the beings on the craft looking down at him, but the craft was in the air. Okay, so uh, when they arrived home, they looked at the clock. They set their watches. They knew they were supposed to be home between 2 and 3 in the afternoon. It was now 5.15. And I know that because I have Betty's watch and it's still set at 5:15 as she said it she didn't realize nor did barney that their watches would never run again but they didn't
0: wow something yeah. they got that
1: so they knew they were later arrived home later than they should have, but they were more focused on their memories of the craft and the questions about their clothing and all of these other things. It wasn't for a couple of months when Robert Holman and C.D. Jackson, who were a couple of scientists from IBM, sat down with them. They were also members of the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena and went over that trip and well, why did it take them all that time, two hours, to drive 35 miles? You know, oh that's. My gosh. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow, that's a long time.
1: Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So that really uh, put some fear into Barney, I think. Uh, Betty was always uh, more comfortable with this than Barney. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she had been taken before because I've worked on three major research studies with, uh, f- about 5,000 experiencers and, and we had PhD, uh, scientists working with us on these, on two of them. And what we discovered is that, uh, it's generational, and that the vast majority of experiencers are taken for the first time when they're less than twenty years old. Wow. Yeah, and a lot when they're less than five—about thirty-seven percent.
0: Yeah, but could that be because, um, well, especially when they're young like that—that that maybe, and I, and I hate to say it this way, but maybe those those young children are are, are the hybrids. We don't we don't know it.
1: Well, some children, I believe, are hybrids of and born to uh, Earth mother and Earth father, but um, they were created on the craft, and uh, there were there was genetic manipulation, mm-hmm. and they have very special characteristics. Now they're they're very kind and gentle. Kids, uh, they can do things like <laughs> telekinesis. Some of them talk in, uh, in, in and what they call a star language. Some of them are healers. Uh, they're incredible kids, but you know, so no one should be afraid of them because uh, they've just been tweaked. And and these ETs, uh, say, have told many, many experiencers that they are trying to create a more sustainable human and also a more sustainable species of their own. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's uh, sort of the process that they're using to upgrade the human genome so that we uh, Will overcome the things that could cause us to destroy our planet, such as our warlike behavior.
0: Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, now you talk about them going under hypnosis. When when did that happen? When they started to have their their the regressions done.
1: The regressions waited until, uh, well, their first consultation with Dr. Simon was in December of 1963. They had wanted to see a psychiatrist or a a psychologist who used hypnosis before that. And they did see someone, but he said that he didn't want to hypnotize them because they would remember more over time. But then Barney had this um, medical problem. And so they went to Dr. Simon. He uh, interviewed them, conditioned them to go into deep trance hypnosis uh, under rapid induction, just to say a word, and and they uh, would go into hypnosis. He took them separately, uh, and uh, the hypnosis began for Barney in February of 1964, and it began for Betty two weeks later he took barney for the first two sessions because barney was the real patient he was the one who needed help Mm -hmm. and but betty wanted to know what happened as well so Mm -hmm. he took her separately and he reinstated amnesia at the end of each session so they couldn't share information then uh so he saw them in hypnosis for i have uh 10 or 11 hypnosis tapes and then he took them together and he did therapy with them as they listened to what one another said in hypnosis and he let them remember as well mm-hmm. what they had remembered yeah
0: didn't barney um Barney's recollection was was slightly different than Betty's
1: well his what I find is that uh, Barney's speech patterns were different than Betty's. Mm -hmm. Betty was an individual who uh, was very descriptive in her details Mm -hmm. and she remembered uh, she talked a lot more than Barney. Remember Barney was uh, a black man being raised in the self under a system of apartheid and in that system he had to be very careful about what he said, and I, you know, I think that that probably is part of the reason, at least, why he always thought uh, about what he was going to say and what the impact would be. Mm-hmm. So he and Betty underwent the same exams. Uh, not all of Betty's, uh, Barney's exam was put into the the first book that was written. Mm-hmm. But the way it really happened on the hypnosis tapes is in the book that Stanton Friedman and I wrote, Captured. So uh, Betty was far more descriptive. Barney had the same kinds of things done to him mm-hmm. that Betty had, uh, but uh, he spoke with few words. hmm it was just a matter of personality difference, I think, and, you know, maybe brain functioning.
0: Well, if I remember the original movie about it, mm-hmm. James Earl Jones, mm-hmm. and he got, Barney got a real macho guy to play him. That's pretty cool. James Earl Jones. You can't ask for better than that.
1: <laughs> right. Um, yes. <laughs> Simba's
0: dad. Um, the pregnant, what terrified me was Betty's pregnancy. I don't know, I don't know how much of that movie was, was close to your book or, or true, you know. But the pregnancy test they showed in there was absolutely terrifying.
1: Yeah. And uh, in that movie starring James Earl Jones and Estelle Parsons, you uh, did not get the full picture of what occurred. Uh, They made, they did this for the public because they didn't want to cause public hysteria. They Mm -hmm. wanted to leave people doubting that it happened. So in that movie, it seemed like they just saw this light in the sky and then Betty had these dreams and there was so much more that they remembered. And it was in the early reports, the investigative reports, the Air Force report. And uh, so uh, in that movie, oh, James Earl Jones was played a good Barney. Barney died in 1969 at age 46. From a massive cerebral hemorrhage. So he never lived to see this movie, uh, but Betty did. Estelle Parsons uh, didn't, she didn't capture Betty's personality. Betty was, had a very, very good self esteem. Betty was highly intelligent, and Betty was not a whiner like the, the Betty in that movie. I, I just thought she played you know, this homely little 60s housewife type. That's not Betty at all. And uh, But it, I have to say I thought it was a good movie, despite the fact that it wasn't accurate.
0: Right. Um, how did they communicate? I mean, it must have been, I mean, they obviously the aliens did not speak English, or maybe they did. I don't know. How, how, how did that communication go so that betty and
1: barney knew what was going on or what was going to happen or whatever. betty and barney understood them in english and what they said is that they would hear this like mumming sound um and they would then understand it in english and it, and it was telepathic communication maybe there was a little uh that I don't know what kind of sound. I can't even make that sound. But maybe there was a little of that. I think I heard that sound when I was taking care of Betty when she was dying from cancer. She was under hospice care, and I stayed with her. And I had uh, in my bedroom a a monitor so I could hear what was going on in her bedroom. Mm -hmm. And one night, I... I heard this z- kind of a zipping sound of sound I've never heard before as far as I recall. And Betty said, "My god, I'd never thought I'd see you again." Oh boy. <laughs> so I I kind of think that maybe um she was seeing the the nice entity who was the leader who took away her pain when she had that needle in the navel it and coincidentally i just want to make the point that amniocentesis was not being used in hospitals when betty had her hypnosis sessions and remembered that occurring Uh, it was several years later before it was being used in a hospital setting See,
0: so what we're talking about is, um, it showed it in the movie that uh, she underwent a pregnancy test. And what they did was they took a large needle and inserted it into her navel. And it was painful for her at the time. And, uh, yeah, that's what I found terrifying. <laughs> that was <laughs> a big, you know, that big needle into the navel. And I mm-hmm. understand that he actually, um, that your uncle actually felt Something that they had done something with with his male parts, correct?
1: Yes, yes, they did take a sperm sample from him.
0: Okay, okay, interesting. Very, Mm -hmm. it's interesting.
1: Well, you know, they had a program going. They had to have had a program. I've, I have investigated cases back that went back into the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Denise Stoner's case that I wrote about and she wrote about in the Alien Abduction files, uh, Denise's mother had been taken when she was a girl, and uh, Denise is now 72 years old. So this goes back in time, but it was never investigated. And Denise was taken, she believes, for the first time when she was about two and a half years old. And uh, so it's been going on a long time. They've been had time to establish these programs uh, for the, the hybridization, uh, among other things that they're doing on this planet. They've collected flora and fauna uh, dating back to the oh. mid-1950s. and the way they explain it to experiencers the older experiencers are are now able to uh, communicate with them and receive information from them and they say that they're doing this for two reasons one reason is that we have reached a stage in our development where our technological development is out of sync with our spiritual growth and when you have this kind of thing occurring, uh, you can destroy your planet and life on your planet. So I think of Norzark Ark when I think of, you know, what they uh, say that they're doing. Uh, they've also told some people that they are seeding other planets, that they're terraforming and seeding planets as well.
0: That makes kind of sense when you say that about the uh, the the plants and stuff. Because going back to that abduction in the Mojave, if you remember the story, that's what they saw. That they saw these beams coming out of the ships. You mm-hmm. know, the multiple ships they saw. Like the, he thought they were mining,
1: because mm-hmm.
0: it reminded him of like dredgers of stuff coming down. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. Man, I gotta get caught up on my research. I haven't been really looking <laughs> into this stuff lately.
1: Well, some of the groups also do mine. Things like rare earths. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, some been. of these groups are doing mining
0: yeah, projects mining. as well.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. So um, when she's aboard the ship, how, how did she describe the inside of the ship?
1: Um, it was, there was a hallway that encircled the craft. And then there were, they only saw two examining rooms. Betty saw hers and Barney saw his, but they were wedge shaped with the end cut off. So it was like kind of circular, like it had a circular center. Um, that's probably where the control center is. I, That's where Denise went. They took her to the, the center of the craft and uh, there was uh, intelligence there in the center of the craft for Denise. Betty and Barney were not taken there, but, um, and Denise was given information by this entity, like a telepathic information Mm -hmm. um, that uh, she was feeling sorry that this uh, consciousness was encased in this kind of machine, in a sense. She said it looked, almost like a lotus flower the way it was constructed and the the entity said to her don't be afraid uh it's okay don't feel sorry for me i volunteer to do this and i can come out when i want to and uh yeah wow and uh you know so That might have been what was in the center section of Betty's, the craft Mm -hmm. Betty and Barney were on. There there were no light fixtures. You just could uh, see blue light radiating out through the walls. The hallway was dark. Wow. There was a guard stationed at the door. One of those little short ones.
0: And probably an examination table, right?
1: There was an examination table. And in Betty's room, there was a chaise lounge kind of uh, thing, too. Almost like a really modern dentist chair, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so she was on that first where they examined her, her skin. They took samples from her. Uh, fingernails, scraped her skin, looked at it through what was like a very large uh, microscope um, thing, or uh, probably more like uh, a magnifying glass, just that round thing, part of it, um, took samples of her hair of, from her nose, her mouth, her ears, that sort of thing. Examined very interested in Betty's and Barney's skeletal structure, muscular structure, and nervous systems. They worked on those.
0: I wonder why they separated them though. Maybe, maybe to cut down on you know any problems with them teaming up or something, or or was it just a kid? You know, you, you think it was a case that because he was male, they wanted a separate doctor to look at him.
1: Well, they, they had only one examiner
0: on okay. the craft,
1: so maybe they could contain Barney uh, better having him in a separate room with these entities around him mm-hmm. so that he wouldn't escape um, and so the examiner was in doing what he needed to do or she needed to do with Betty. and then when they uh, finished went in to examine Barney. and then Betty, had put her dress back on and uh, she saw what she called a book. It's not like we think of a book. It's more like a a tablet Mm -hmm. Um, and she opened it up and embedded in it were symbols. There were rows of vertically symbols Mm -hmm. and she'd never seen symbols like that. And she was left alone in the room with the leader. And she had lost her fear of him. And she said, I know you're not from around here. Where's your home port? And so that's when he produced this three-dimensional star map. In Betty's dreams, she dreamed about that star map, but it pulled down like a a window shade in her dreams. Mm -hmm. Everything in her dreams was uh, 1961 technology, (laughs) but not (laughs) under hypnosis. It was different. Um, So... Uh, he produced this like three-dimensional star map with uh, stars that were connected by solid lines and, and others that were connected by dotted lines. Solid lines were, represented trade routes, dotted lines represented expeditions. There were some that didn't have lines connecting them. And that's where the brilliant woman, Marjorie Fish, came in. And that map was published in the first book that was written about Betty and Barney. Mm -hmm. They agreed to do that after uh, their confidentiality was violated. And uh, Marjorie worked for years trying to identify that star system. She thought she'd find many matches. Mm -hmm. In the end, she found only one After four years, she'd built 14 three-dimensional models. She'd had to do all the, the math to know precisely where to put every one of those stars, which were represented in different colors and different sizes on monofilament line. Uh, she got. She had gotten all of the distance data and all of the characteristics of the stars at the university. She had to sit and hand copy all of it. It was an extraordinary effort. In one of her star models, she had 256 stars in his, their proper location. And she, what she did is she took the sun and she went out 54 light years in all directions. And finally, there was a new catalog released. She, there was different distance data. We'd made technological progress. And so she used that data. And uh, that is uh, how she found a match for Betty star map. Wow. You mentioned
0: earlier that uh, the, the, the the alien had taken away Betty's pain. What, what, what was the pain from?
1: From the needle in her navel. Okay. Uh, she said, don't do it, don't do it. It's, it will hurt. And, and the examiner said, it won't hurt, don't worry. And uh, she said, no, and he plunged it into her navel and caused excruciating pain. <clears throat> it was awful. <clears throat> they, they didn't know. They should have known. Uh, the, the one thing that makes me very angry about them is that they uh, cause pain before they take that pain away. They don't have to do that. They should be able to anticipate that Mm -hmm. certain things will be painful.
0: Well, and then you wonder Mm -hmm. how many people they did that they've done this to, you know, Mm -hmm. to know the fact for a fact that that's going to cause pain.
1: Uh, They've done that to a lot of people. Exactly. Yes. um, Millions of people, probably.
0: Exactly. Now, she ended up, um, they had promised her to take home some, some type of book, right?
1: Yes, yeah, um, they. He promised her that she could take it, but then, as she and Barney were being escorted from the craft, um, she, they took the book away from her. That little one who was the guard in the window and in the, in the doorway that she was so frightened of. Uh, was very distressed. That's what the little ones do. Those little ones, they may not even be sentient beings. I'm not certain about Mm -hmm. that. But they are the guards. They're the assistants. They make sure you don't get off the craft with anything that belongs to them. And so he took it away. They took Barney down to the car first, which was different from Betty's dream. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Betty gave up the fight and the leader escorted her down and apologized and you know, said, I, I know you were greatly frightened at first and um, sorry for frightening you. And so Betty said to him, well, do you think you could come back? Because I know uh, scientists, I know other people who have a lot more knowledge than I do. And they could, I could arrange for them to meet with you And the leader said, well, I don't know if I can do that or not. Maybe I can, but it's not my decision to make. And so uh, Betty said, well, how will you find me? And out of all of the millions of people on this planet, how will you find me? And he said to her, "Uh, don't worry, we always find those that we're looking for. So that makes me wonder, were they looking for Betty that night? But instead of going to her home in Portsmouth and taking her through a wall or a window, they uh, found her up in the White Mountains and uh, took her then. And, and you know, did she have an implant? That was but, the
0: question that was in the chat room I was going to just ask. About <laughs> of her having an implant. Obviously, they... The, the, Like you say, they probably found her when she was younger. They found her again, and they found her again and again and again. (laughs) Yes,
1: yes. So uh, I I feel certain that she had an implant, uh, but she would not permit uh, anyone to look for it or remove Mm -hmm. it. Even uh, when she died, that was a question. Could they look for the implant? And she said no. So.
0: maybe it was a case of okay I know it's there I just don't want to think about it being there you know maybe it was one of those cases uh,
1: could have been could have been
0: do you have a few a little extra time I'd like to talk to you some more is that okay
1: yes I have a little extra time
0: okay cool because mm-hmm. it's just so fascinating and I have live questions <laughs> out, out, out well, okay here. let's
1: ask the questions uh, and I'll I answer them
0: because I'm blind so okay <laughs> here's a question from Trisha. um does she also think that since Barney had a different and already clear path for his future as a male, given this, this is a good one, given that it's the late 50s, early 60s, that he that he his less free mind as a, a, a as a black male in the free world was far less inclined to want this information, you know, out, out there in the public eye or did she as intelligent, okay, did she as intelligent as her niece says she was consider the thought the thoughts she was obviously a, a free will lively thinking person.
1: She was (laughs) absolutely a free will uh, thinking person. She didn't care what people thought of her. She knew what was right. In terms of Barney, he was uh, a man who was very concerned about being proper, doing everything right, being respected in the community. Uh, So he had a different personality than Betty.
0: Cool. Very interesting. And mm-hmm. a Pat, Pat, who came in late, did ask if, if there were reoccurrences of this, which which there were, you know, where she had been missing. Did he have any cases, that, you, know, that, you know, through hypnosis of, of, of them coming back for him?
1: Uh, well, no, not, okay. not in hypnosis. But my mother told me that she thought he had been taken again from the family farm. Uh, Because there were craft that landed on my grandparents' farm. Uh I grew up across the street. Uh, There were witnesses to one craft that landed 200 feet from my childhood home. And so uh, Barney did not want to hear Betty talking about UFOs and about what happened to them. So he had a habit when they visited of... uh, walking on the backlands of the family farm. And my mother said that they were, the family was looking for Barney because he didn't come back and he'd always come back at a, you know, after an hour or so, whatever it was. And that a craft was seen. And so my mother wondered if maybe that craft took Barney. My mother went down back looking for Barney. And she's That's the one who saw the craft.
0: That's interesting, guys. If you've never read the book "Captured," it's it's a fabulous book. It's a great it's a great read, and it, there's a lot there's a lot of information in there about what happened to to this couple. And uh, Barney you know working at the post office, my, my dad was was a mail carrier, and you know I, I could see how he would have the attitude he had. That you know he's trying to investigate and, and debunk it and figure and figure out what actually happened, and maybe not want maybe not want it. Someone in the back of his head not wanting to believe it, but uh, it's a very fascinating book. Thank um, you. You've uh, you've written it. You put improvements not improvements, but extra information in, 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 in you know, updating the book. Are is there are there any films or anything on the horizon on this that you're going to be involved in?
1: I hope so. <laughs> Bryce Zabel, who is a Hollywood producer, uh, has purchased the. Uh, motion picture rights documentary rights oh, right to uh, film or series whatever mm-hmm. and uh, we're hoping that he is going to have like an eight-part series but that's still up in the air and uh, the the only money the last time I spoke with Bryce the only money that was available was money for horror shows and and i we certainly do not want to turn what happened to Betty and Barney into a horror show a horror movie. That's because true. it wasn't that way. Now, Dr. Simon said to Barney on, in Hypnosis, Do you think that you were uh, kidnapped? And Barney said, No, I wasn't kidnapped because when I think of kidnapping, I think of a person being harmed. And I wasn't harmed. Mm hmm.
0: Now I got to thinking about his the scuffs on his shoe, on the shoes. Those were on the mm-hmm. front of the shoes, right? So it's almost like maybe he didn't, re- maybe maybe it didn't register with him. It's almost like he was he was pulled forward.
1: Uh, yeah, we we know in uh, you'll find out in the book. Okay, uh, but Barney, when he was taken from the car, uh, felt like he was floating. And only the toes of his shoes were bumping along the rocks. That makes sense to me. It makes perfect there sense. is an explanation in the book of how Betty, uh, her, how her dress was torn as well. Yes.
0: Right on. So you guys are going to have to get this book. And I've got a nice <laughs> picture of you, of, of you and Betty um, when she's older. There we go. Oh,
1: yes. And I'm younger. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was about a year before Betty died. She died in 2004 from lung cancer. And we were at a MUFON meeting in Portsmouth, New Hampshire.
0: That's fabulous. Bless her soul. Bless mm. her for going through this. You know yes. what? I want to thank you. Um, this has been fabulous. And I'd like oh, to thank you, you. If you. If you're willing to come on again, I would love to have you on again because I just, I just, I just I'm so fascinated talking to you because I really like to talk. On the next show, let's talk about uh, other abductions and stuff. You know, we, 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 sure. we go into that part.
1: Absolutely. Um, I would love to.
0: Because of who they are and when it happened and, and it's the anniversary. And, mm-hmm. and I know you must hear all the time, you know, get questions all the time about them and, and it, it should be that way. Mm-hmm. But I also think you have all this, the, all this knowledge about abductions and stuff. And I would love to have you on to talk about the different cases that are out there.
1: Okay. If that works. Sure, okay. sure. I've written two books uh, on abduction. Uh, one is the alien abduction files that I mentioned. And the next one is extraterrestrial contact, what to do when you've been abducted. And in both books, I've talked about many cases.
0: So I would love to do that, if that's okay with you. Mm hmm maybe get you on next month because we're full up this month, but I would love to get you on if you have time.
1: Yeah. I'm full up this month too. So, okay. <laughs> but I do have some openings next month. Mm-hmm. All right.
0: Well, let me email you when we, when we get done. Okay. Thank you so much, Kathleen. I appreciate it. And my I know pleasure. my pleasure. did. I tried to cover all Thank your questions you. out there, you guys, as best I could. But, mm-hmm. uh, for those of you that came in late, check the beginning of the show because there's some really cool information about reoccurrences that, that, uh, Betty experienced and stuff. But, uh, Fantastic! Thank you, Kathleen. I appreciate. Thank it Thank so you. Much. And we will definitely set up something for for next month to, to talk about you know some of the other in, info you have because I mean this is this is terrific.
1: Okay. Thank you so okay. much. You have know a good care. evening. You too. You too. Bye bye, bye bye.
0: Wow, that's all I can say about this show. So yeah, I'm definitely going to try and get her back on next month to talk about uh, the other you know the other stuff that that she's done research on anyhow i got news for you guys and one of the news is that as you can see we're taking donations because i support all this myself and you know it gets expensive after a while but i did start a patreon and if you guys want to look us up on patreon just go over to patreon and type in california Haunts Radio, and there we are i have three levels of of membership um the first level comes with some goodies where um of course, you get to see the shows every week, which is what we're doing now. But um, I've decided to uh, take the calendar from the Loyal Listeners Program and put it over on Patreon. So those who are, who join at that $5 level will get the calendar at the first of the month to know who's going to be on. So you'll, you'll know ahead of time. I'm also going to give key rings out to people that are at the $5 level. And I'm also giving a California Haas logo sticker to people at $5 level. Next level is a $10 level and we're looking at all those items. Plus you're going to get exclusive access to any show that's pre-recorded. So if I do a show like Friday, I'm going to pre-record a show that I'm going to release around on the 17th. Well, if I pre-record a show on that Friday, I'm going to give, I, I will post it to the Patreon four or five days beforehand. So you guys can see it. Okay. That's for those members. And that's also includes that, you know, stuff from the first level. Now, the next level is a little pricey, but I think you're going to like it. It's a, it's a $40 level on Patreon, but you're going to get all the above plus once a month I'm going to sit down with you guys. Okay, there's two pluses here. Once a month I'm going to sit down with you guys for a one-on-one. You can ask me anything you want about ghost hunting, anything you want about any guests that we've had on any topic, any paranormal topic. If I don't have the answer, I'll find it for you. Plus... Like on this show, Kathleen has written several books, okay? If there's a particular book that you're interested in from a show, all right, you let me know, and at that $40 level, I will provide you the book from Amazon. I'll get you the book, one book a month from from a guest, okay? And that's included in your $40 a month uh, membership, okay? You'll get one book, plus everything else. So that's what I've done. That's what I've set up. And that's going to help support what, what I do and get better get better and better guests and can keep this thing on the air for as long as, pos- for as, long as possible for eternity or whatever. But um, go ahead and check out our Patreon. Become a member over there if you feel up to it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to hold a gun to your heads, but, you know, that's just how it is. We're all self-funded. And the Patreon will be kind of fun. In fact, I'll be adding stuff. I mean, there may be something I'm using during a show. Maybe I, maybe maybe I can put some cool sunglasses on or something during a show, and I can add that into something. I'll even take suggestions for guests over there, you know, whatever works. But anyway, check out our Patreon. So that's going to be happening. I'm going to be doing an Ask the Ghost Hunter here probably at some point towards the end of the month, and uh, you guys can come on and ask me questions and whatnot. I'm setting that up through Nextdoor, um, and, and that, that'll probably be a Zoom thing. But you guys can come on, you know, can come on and ask me questions about stuff. Anyway, this this was fun. It was great, and my guest on Wednesday is going to be very interesting. He is into Nordic mysticism, and he'll he just might do some readings. He kind of offered to do them, so we'll see if we'll see if he he follows through with it. But um, he's going to be talking about that and talk and talk about some of, some of that Nord- Nordic mysticism and how he how he uses that to help people improve their lives and, and whatnot. So, come on Wednesday, same time, same place. Anyway, I'm going to show you Betty's books here and a link to get them. Make sure I got everything. Yeah, okay, everything's here. And if you want to, you know, if you do want to get Betty's books, so here we go. Okay, well, it was great to spend this hour with you, a little more than an hour, but I get to go now and uh, take a ride in my car with has air conditioning and kind of sit in there for a while and get a soda or something while I'm out. But thank you guys for coming, and I will see you on Wednesday. And again, please check out our Patreon. Please let people know about this show. Share it with five people. We're trying to build up the audience on here, get some sponsors, and get stuff going. And if you find it in your heart to, to even donate $5, $5 via, via, via the PayPal account please do that for us. I appreciate you guys coming and you guys have a good next couple of days and I will see you on Wednesday.